Hello and welcome to another edition of Mr. Stillman's Opus. I'm John Stillman, joined today by a very special guest, Brian Evans. Brian's the founder of Madrona Financial Services in, well, not Seattle, but right outside Seattle. What is it technically, Brian? Technically, it's uh, in Bellevue, which uh, is near Seattle, and Everett, Washington, uh, which is north of Seattle. Home of the soaring real estate prices. Everything I've read is that Seattle is is you know a few years away from being the new San Francisco in terms of real estate values. Are you seeing that too? Uh, yeah, uh, particularly uh, Seattle and Bellevue. Uh, the median home price is near a million right now, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of old dumpy houses there. So depending on where they're at, you can yeah the prices have gone nuts. There's a lot of lakefront. Obviously, they're they're in the three to 10 million typically area. There's just a lot of, yeah, there's been a significant amount of appreciation here, primarily due to the the different businesses that are started and founded here, you know, your Microsofts and Amazons and Costco's and Boeing's and, you know, there's just Starbucks. There's just a lot of fabric of America type businesses that have uh, taken off here, creating a lot of new money. That's just been ridiculous. So yeah, we've had a a ton of, of highly appreciated uh, real estate here. I am yet to visit the Pacific Northwest, but I will one day. Um, well, I wanted to talk with you today, Brian, about the dot-com crash. And by the way, Madrona Financial Services is one of the third-party money managers that we use. A lot of our clients have money invested with Madrona Financial Services. Brian created three of his own ETFs, exchange-traded funds. Uh, He has a domestic stock fund, international equities, and a bond fund that he runs in-house there at Madrona and is part of the portfolios that we've constructed there at Madrona. But Brian, I wanted to talk with you today about the dot-com crash and sort of the idea that, you know, we might be kind of flirting with a similar type of situation now. I was looking at some research recently that was illustrating how basically half of the growth in the S&P so far this year is attributed to only five stocks, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Google. And of course, the S&P is 500 stocks, right? But half of the growth of that entire index is attributed to only those five companies. Well, it's a little bit similar to 99, 2000, when the market was doing really well, but a lot of the growth was in just a couple of sectors. So kind of walk us through what happened, what caused the dot-com crash, and why was it actually avoidable? Yeah, um, there are similarities and there are differences in this one. And so the the interesting thing, I, I did extensive research on the dot-com crash, and it was not a crash of stocks uh, across the board. What it was, it was a crash of a couple of sectors. And the, the problem was really it had to do with market cap weighted investing. So what I mean by that is let's say you buy the S&P 500 or Vanguard index or any index. Think of the term index. What an index does is it doesn't look at any company's uh, internal financials or growth or profitability. It doesn't look at anything. It just says, are you bigger? If you're bigger, we'll buy more of you. Bigger meaning that other people are buying you. So it's kind of the uh, uh, just chase it as it goes up mentality. Now, that works great when big companies are growing rapidly. So right now, indexes have been doing very well relative to other funds because of certain big names, as you just mentioned, 
are going up. And so they just keep buying more of them and overloading on them. Now, during the crash of 2000 through 2002, more stocks in the SP 500 actually went up in value than down. Very few people know this. But the ones that went down is where most of the money was. And so when the dot coms, telecom, and technology shares dropped on average 80%, they represented almost half of the money invested in the S&P 500 mm -hmm. because of market cap weighted indexing. The, the indexes, the computers, were buying the most of the biggest companies. So they had all their money basically in a small handful. And when that handful crashed, uh, it made the average of the index go down 40, 50%. Even though more companies went up in value than down, they just didn't have much money invested in those. Pretty amazing. And uh, I think you've back-tested some portfolios where, you know, basically a truly diversified portfolio would have made, not double digits, but would have made money during the dot-com crash, right? Actually, it would have made double digits. So what, what we did is we, we went back and said, okay, what, what kind of strategy would have worked? And and lo and behold, it was uh, Warren Buffett's strategy. Uh, buy low <laughs> based on what you're paying relative to the future profitability. And that's not that hard to come up with. It's called the, the if, if you look at price earnings ratios and growth of earnings and projections and, and analysts, you know, they're, they're looking at this stuff all the time. So at the time, you had all these dot coms that had no product. Really, they had no no plan for marketing. They didn't really have any uh, uh, sales projections of any significance. Yet they were worth five billion dollars on the free market. Yeah, well, Maybe stock no stock sense. prices were going up simply based on the amount of web traffic that a site was yeah. getting. Yeah, it was web traffic, and then you look at their financials, and you'd say, "All right, you're five billion. I remember looking at this one company. This guy called me and says, "I'm thinking about buying this company." So where'd you get the tip? He literally says garbage man. I said, what do they do? He said, I don't know, but they're dot com. I said, okay. Well, they're worth five billion dollars on the market. He says, yeah. I said their sales last year were a grand total of one million. Gross sales. Mm -hmm. And their expenses were twenty million to produce one million. And the market thinks they're worth five billion. I said, I can't make sense of this. But there are other companies, and were other companies at the time, where uh, if they were worth $5 billion on the market, they were earning $1.5 to $2 billion of profit annually. Now that I can get my head around. Yeah. Because that's earnings. That's You're going to replace the value of your company in the next three, four, five years. So it's these statistics that you can look back at. And had you built a model, which we ended up building, that said, we're going to rotate our money into the undervalued companies at all time, knowing that, yeah, we won't get the run up when there's a, a panic buying going on, which occurred at the time. But in the end, uh, you know, like I said, Warren Buffett made a pretty good living off buying low and avoiding those bubbles. And so when everybody else is avoiding undervalued companies, he goes in there and buys a whole bunch of them. And... Lo and behold, later on, you look back and go, well, that made sense. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what the funds are, you know, are designed to do that we're constructing to say we always want to buy companies significantly undervalued when they're not 
the popular uh, flavor of the day. That's that's the best time to buy them. Not you know is when they're not the flavor. Now you said there were similarities and differences in today's market compared to the time of the dot com crash. Let's take those one at a time. Primarily, the similarities are what. Similarities are uh, people get excited when they see something going up, 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 up. So uh, it is not a problem to talk somebody into uh, the stock of a company that's up, you know, three hundred percent in the last three years. But had we had that conversation three years ago and it had been flat, they go, "Well, I don't want to buy this." So <laughs> the similarity is any bubble, uh, people get excited when prices are going up. Uh, the housing boom here, I mean, you know, the, the million dollar, 1,200 square foot, uh, you know, 80 year old house. Uh, people think, gosh, that's that's a bargain. Well, you know, a few years ago when it was 400K, they didn't think it was a bargain. So we kind of get enamored by prices going up. So bubbles, uh, overvaluations, that's the similarity that I see in the markets. What's different about this market compared to 17 years ago? The big difference is that, as I mentioned with that $5 billion dot-com, they had no chance of turning a profit. Uh, They were unprofitable companies. Now, Google and Facebook and and, uh, Apple are extremely profitable companies. So that's the primary difference, that their run may not be over if it's based on profits. But just because it may not be over doesn't mean that there aren't other companies out there that are undervalued with significant profits too. And so to help avoid a potential bubble in a sector, uh, rather than chase after something that's already maybe kind of at a a bubble or or getting beyond fair valuation, you might want to go after stocks in other sectors that have been being ignored all this time that are making very significant profits. And so that's the type type of diversification that I think is most important. It's not about buying uh, uh, different sectors and, and different companies. It's about diversifying amongst undervalued companies in multiple sectors. That way, if we have a pullback like we did before, then you really uh, have a significant layer of protection because you're in other sectors that are all undervalued. And that's generally where money floats to. Uh, people will sell overvalued companies to buy undervalued companies in whatever sector they may be in. So since the soaring stock prices of these companies like Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and Facebook are all based on actual profits of the company, I guess I'm hearing you say that you're not necessarily nervous about the future prospects of those companies, but still it's a bad idea to be overweighted in technology sectors like that. It's AI. I think that it's not a great idea to be to have all your eggs in any basket. Nobody foresaw, you know, it used to be that uh, uh, if you wanted safe investment, you went into high dividend paying bank stocks. Well, we had a famous bank up here, Washington Mutual, uh, had a lot of clients with a lot of money in that, didn't want to diversify out. That didn't work out so good. Uh, then it was uh, oil. Uh, oh, just buy Chevron and, and Exxon, you'll be fine. And then oil prices took a dive and all of a sudden you weren't fine. And so then it was, you know, it, it could be anything. Oh, buy real estate. That never goes down. Right. And then we have a crash. So no matter what we think now and now it's like, oh, no, technologies, you know, everybody's going to it's just going to go up, 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 up forever and ever and ever. Well, I don't know of anything that ever has done that. And so 
is is just being prudent with your investment strategies that you don't just diversify stocks by saying, well, I'm diversified. I own Apple and Microsoft and Google and Facebook. That's I'm diversified. I got four stocks. Well, they're all kind of in the same. They're, they're going to move similarly. And so uh, being prudent about that, uh, you don't have to just take your money out of the market but uh, and put it into bonds, which I wouldn't recommend. I, I think there's a lot of great solutions outside of just buying bonds to reduce risk. So one way to reduce risk certainly is to buy undervalued stocks when they're undervalued. Brian Evans, the founder of Madrona Financial Services, creator of three of his own ETFs, and our guest today on Mr. Stillman's Opus. Brian, always good talking with you. Yeah, yeah, I love this stuff. You you were my introduction into the radio world, and, and so I, I always appreciated you for that. Uh, now I have my own shows, and now I can just talk all day long on, on, on the radio, and uh, come a long way, but uh, you you were the grandmaster, my, my original tutor for, for my introduction to radio. That was many years ago. Yeah, it was. But always good to talk with you, and uh, if you have any questions, certainly shoot us an email. We'll be happy to talk with you through some of these issues. And a lot of you listening to this, of course, already have your money invested at Madrona, so uh, you know you're already in good hands. But thanks for tuning in. We'll talk with you next time right here, same time, same place, on Mr. Stillman's Opus.